Welcome to episode two of the second season of American Opioid. If you just started listening, you'll want to start at the beginning. More information is available at www.americanopioid.org. At the end of season one, Marjorie Kane overdosed in the home of her employers, an affluent family in a posh neighborhood in High Falls. Let's find out what happens next. When Marjorie opened her eyes, two paramedics stood over her. She was still in the living room, but she now lay on the floor. Turning her head to the side, Marjorie saw her employer, Cheryl, sitting on the couch alongside her husband, Alex. Marjorie had seen Alex only once before. He left early in the morning at dawn, before she arrived, and came back late at night, long after she had left. Working for Expanding Possibilities, the technology behemoth, was a dream job in Regal, but she could see the downsides. Very little time for his son, Arthur. Speaking of Arthur, Marjorie looked around. Agatha and Arthur were nowhere to be seen. How many fingers am I holding up? One of the paramedics asked, holding up three. Three, Marjorie replied. Good, the paramedic said. You had an opioid overdose. What that means is, your breathing slows down until you die. Luckily, we were called just in time to give you naloxone. Naloxone? It's a powerful antidote that jumpstarts your breathing, jolts you back to life. You're fine now, but if we had arrived just a bit later, things would have been dicey for you. What kind of opioid were you taking? Cheryl cut in. Anything else you're required to do? She asked the paramedic. Nope, that's about it, the paramedic answered, gathering his gear. Well, we can take her down to the hospital to get her checked out, just to make sure everything is in order. Marjorie sat up. No, I'll be okay, she said. She looked down at her lap and saw that her pants had been pulled back up. She felt perky, alert, sharp. The naloxone had done its job well. Cheryl clasped her hands together. Okay, thanks for your help, she told the paramedics. Would you like me to see you out? No, that's fine. We'll see ourselves out, the paramedic said. They headed for the front door. Marjorie looked at Cheryl then at Cheryl's husband, Alex. Both were avoiding eye contact with her. She asked, What time is it? Where are Arthur and Agatha? Alex finally looked her directly in the eye. It is 11 o'clock in the morning. Agatha is in her bedroom, and Arthur is with her. Agatha called us when she couldn't tell if you were breathing. Then we eventually called 911. Oh, wow, Marjorie said, 
So, Agatha, and you, you saved my life. Thank you. You're welcome, Alex said. Eleven o'clock. Don't you guys need to be at work? Marjorie asked. There was a long, awkward silence. We both took the day off, Cheryl said. Marjorie slowly got up. Okay, she said. She took a couple of steps toward the hallway and saw both Alex and Cheryl immediately take steps behind her in unison. They wanted her to leave. In that case, I guess I'll head home for today, she said. That would be good, yes, Cheryl said. Marjorie walked to the front door, hearing their footsteps behind her. When she came out onto the porch, she turned around and said, So, tomorrow morning... Won't be necessary, Alex responded. He took a deep breath. Marjorie, your services are no longer required. Please do not come here again. And please do not go near our family ever again. Here, he said, handing her a check. This covers the pay period all through next week, along with the following pay period. We wish you the best of luck. We really do. But if you come here again, we will have to call the police. Goodbye. He shut the door. Marjorie stood there on the porch for a good minute, processing what she had just heard. In a daze, she walked to her car and then drove home. Sitting in the living room in her trailer, she glanced at the time. Twelve noon. In less than half a day, she had gotten herself fired from the cushiest job she ever had. But that was not what bothered her the most. What infuriated her was her inability to get back into that house. Marjorie pulled out a folder, flipped through the pages until she found it. The business card of Tanya, her son's sign language teacher. She examined the title. Early Education Specialist. Good. It was vague enough. She spent that afternoon practicing her lines in front of the bathroom mirror, trying to anticipate contingencies. She only had one shot, and she had to deliver, or she would be toast. The next day, Marjorie waited until one in the afternoon, then drove to the gated community in High Falls. She held her breath at the gate when the attendant saw her, but he smiled and waved her through, as always. Arthur's parents had not updated him on recent developments, which is a good sign. It meant that no one was expecting her. She pulled into the driveway, then took a deep breath. Get in and get out, Marge, she said to herself. Get in and get out. Marjorie walked up to the porch and knocked on the door. A young woman answered it. She looked to be in her early twenties. This was the substitute they found on short notice. Can I help you? the woman asked. Yes, I'm from the county. 
I'm here to check in on Arthur Banks as part of our evaluation process to determine his eligibility for the county's early education program, as per your request, Marjorie answered, sounding as authoritative and businesslike as possible. The woman blinked. We made a request? Yes, Marjorie said. Are you his mother, Cheryl Banks? No, I'm the help, the young woman responded. His parents are at work. Where did you say you were from? Let me call Arthur's mother to check. Panic gripped Marjorie. I, uh, I left a voicemail this morning to confirm the appointment, she said, trying to keep her voice level. She handed the woman Tanya's business card. This is my card, she said. You can pass it on to Cheryl, so she knows I was here. We've had to reschedule a couple of times, and I know she wants it done as soon as possible. Otherwise, she'll be upset. The woman read the business card carefully, then looked Marjorie up and down. The slacks, blouse, clipboard. Marjorie knew she had just the right look. She herself would fall for such an appearance. This girl did not stand a chance. Sure, come in, the young woman said. I'm Linda, by the way. How long will this take? Fifteen to twenty minutes, Marjorie said. Nothing elaborate, just a few questions that were required by law to ask. Also, I'll need to take a quick look around the premises. They headed into the kitchen, where Arthur was eating lunch, Hello, Arthur, Linda said. This nice lady is going to ask you a few questions. Arthur looked up at Marjorie, then froze. He turned to Linda. I saw her private part, he announced. Mommy and Daddy said she won't be here anymore. The words landed like a thunderclap. Linda turned to Marjorie, a startled look on her face. In a split second, Marjorie returned it with the grave expression of a jaded soul. I've heard this kind of thing before, Marjorie said. It means that I remind him of someone who's been here, someone who's not his mom. Linda gaped. Yeah, awkward, Marjorie said. She gestured toward Arthur. This one's probably the only thing... Still keeping them together, to be honest, she said, shaking her head in feigned pity. Speaking louder, she said, Anyway, I'll inspect upstairs and then come back down here so he's had a chance to finish eating. She trooped up the stairs, and her heart sank as she heard Linda's footsteps behind her. Not good. When she reached the top, she headed to the various bedrooms, all of which were unlocked now that she had been identified as the drug thief. Linda stayed with her, watching her like a hawk. This would not do. It was time to change the dynamic. Marjorie squinted at her clipboard. I believe there is another resident here, a grandmother named Agatha she said. Yes, that's exactly right. 
She's taking a nap in her bedroom downstairs, Linda said. Agatha always took a nap at this exact same time each day. That was why Marjorie had timed her visit accordingly. Marjorie had asked about Agatha to give Linda one more piece of reassurance that she was here legitimately. Now, having bolstered her own credibility, it was time to put Linda on the defensive and send her packing. Marjorie glanced down at her clipboard again, made a note on it with a pen, then swiveled her head slowly toward Linda. Is it normal in this household for the child to be left unattended, like he is now, downstairs? she asked, in as disapproving a voice as she could muster. Linda put her hand up to her mouth in shock. Oh, not at all, she said. I'll go check on him now. She half sprinted toward the stairs, and Marjorie almost snickered aloud. Then she snapped back into mission mode. Marjorie hurried to the drawer and opened it. Yes! The plastic bag was there. Inside it, packet after packet of fentanyl patches. As she caressed the packets with her fingers, doting on them lovingly, euphoria arose within her. Glorious, yummy, dizzying euphoria. Despite her not even having applied a patch yet. Weird. Downstairs, an antique grandfather clock chimed faintly, snapping her out of her reverie. Get it and get out. She stuffed the packets into her front and back pockets and deposited the remaining handful into her bra. When finished, she took a quick glance in the hallway mirror. Everything good. She had distributed the packets evenly, so there were no suspiciously large bulges. Marjorie merrily traipsed downstairs, only to stop cold at the foot of the stairs. Agatha stood outside the door of her bedroom, hands gripping her walker. She was looking directly at Marjorie. Marjorie stared back for a moment, then broke the silence. Tell your husband I said hi, she said, then turned and started walking toward the front door. Hey, where are you going? Linda called behind her. Forgot something in the car, Marjorie replied. Be right back. She had secured what she had come for, and nothing else mattered. She strolled lazily over to her car, taking her time to admire the neo-Gothic architecture of the house for the last time. Got in, backed out of the long driveway carefully, then floored the gas pedal. As the house receded in her rearview mirror, she saw Linda run out onto the porch, stand there, then run back inside. It was very possible that by tonight, the banks would have fired two household helpers in two days. The first firing was her fault, and the second firing would also be her fault. The thought made Marjorie uneasy, and she shoved it out of her mind. Right now, she just had to worry about her own situation. 
As she sat in her trailer that afternoon, Marjorie fretted about what might happen. Would the banks call the police? She doubted it. That would lead to all kinds of hassles for them, and the fastidious dwellers of High Falls did not like to tolerate the slightest bit of discomfort. Not to mention how the sight of police cars in their driveway one day after a screeching ambulance the previous day would come off to their neighbors. No, they simply needed to update the gate attendant that she was no longer welcome and would never need to worry about her again. But it was impossible to predict exactly what they might do. That evening, after she had picked up Matt from daycare, there was a knock on the door. Oh no. Perhaps they had called the police after all, despite the drawbacks. But why so much later in the day? She opened the door and saw two women dressed in uniforms she did not recognize. Behind them, a few feet away, stood a police officer. In the next episode, Marjorie becomes increasingly resourceful, even as setbacks mount. Join us next time on the American Opioid Podcast.